Welcome to the Nobody Guide to Life, where we provide tips and tools for personal growth, personal development, and your spiritual journey that you can use right now in your everyday life. I'm J.A. Plosker. You can always find out more at thenobodyguidetolife.com, and you can now find episodes and videos on the Nobody Guide to Life YouTube channel. Thank you for joining us. So many of us spend a good amount of our days judging ourselves and maybe others. In fact, life is a lot about judging and being judged. Reality television thrives on judgment, and school can feel like that too. Being graded on tests and projects and worrying about how our peers view us. Life is hard for all of us as we learn to navigate a world of judgment. But what if you died, left your body, and came back with a different message? That life isn't about judgment, but about love. For today's guest, you might write something like this. Heaven isn't a college that requires a high grade point average. Rather, it's a place of deep healing and a place to remember all that is divine and holy about being alive. Trisha Barker wrote those words because she did leave her body and now she's back and on our show to talk about it. In her senior year in college, Trisha experienced a near-death experience that guided her to teach overseas. She's been featured on the Biography Channel, the Dr. Oz Show, and a National Geographic and Simple Grace magazine. Her memoir, Angels in the OR, What Dying Taught Me About Healing, Survival, and Transformation, tells the story of her near-death experience and triumph over trauma. She is an English and creative writing teacher and interviews other near-death experiencers, researchers, healers, and mediums on her YouTube channel. Welcome to the show, Trisha. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. Well, it's just it's just wonderful to have you. And I've been actually received a copy of Angels in the OR before this interview and read it very quickly cover to cover. And I, I have to tell you, it is it is such an authentic presentation of not just the the near death experience, but what you have gone through after that. And I, I just, I, you know, I, I wanted to tell you and I want to tell my listeners, it is really, really an authentic look at a life lived through a new lens. So I just wanted to thank you for, for the copy of that book. Oh, you're so welcome. And I, I appreciate that because uh, I did write it from this place of being as real as I could. And it, maybe it was too real because I cut 30,000 <laughs> words out. And were like, no, no, too much. <laughs> well, it, it reads wonderfully and it reads fast because it's it's just really the journey you take is so emotional and I, I really appreciate it. Could you take us a little bit into the day of your accident? Cause the book starts with this, this harrowing journey that you take. And I'm wondering if you can describe for our listeners what that was like the day of the accident and what happened in that near death experience. Yeah. So I was an agnostic college student uh, and I, the dying in a near death experience was the farthest thing from my mind and I find it really funny like the things I talk about now if I would have heard myself at 22 talking (laughs) about this I would have been like what a kook right (laughs) but angels are just a reality to me I mean like they're a part of my life now and they they actually you know I'm an English major and I love books and they told me to write this book fast and not like Tolstoy, not make it a thousand pages. Right. You know, like that's not the type of reader today. But yeah, so I began with that moment in time when I was just this agnostic, materialistic, grade-centered, uh, kind of lost college student. But I was on my way to run the Austin 10K, and out of nowhere, you know, this light turned yellow really quickly. It was synchronized, kind of strange. I don't know if the other guy jumped the gun. 
He was in a big car. I was in a small car. We both hit each other going about 60 miles an hour. And my little Honda Civic just crunched up around me. And I immediately knew that I was in bad physical shape because I couldn't reach the glove box. And my body just felt so hot. And I was slumped over to one side and I couldn't move myself. And I... I was horrified, you know, there was, I gave this little kind of foxhole prayer, like, oh, dear God, you know, everything depends on the ambulance and who's going to stop for us and what's going to happen to me next. And I knew that I was physically in bad shape. And that's, that's not something you expect at 22. You know, I expected to run a race and maybe even place, you know, I was in good physical shape. And that uh, moment changed everything, you know, both on a fear-based physical level, I always tell people, I hope that they have the kind of awakening, you know, at a conference or a meditation retreat, you know, the light just comes on. You don't want a near-death experience. They're profound, uh, but you have to die. You know, like that's the, that's the not so fun part of it is the physical part of it. And I was, I waited in the hospital for 17 hours. There's, Austin is a college town. So there's a ton of accidents, as you might imagine. And yeah. neurosurgeons are often overloaded with cases. And my, the one who eventually operated on me had been on duty for 40 hours. So she had to go home and rest and eat dinner and then operate on me. And I remember reading that little note because I'd never had a surgery in my life before. And it said 17% chance of death. And I thought, hmm, that's oddly specific (laughs) (laughs) but I'll take it you know like because I want to walk and I want to uh, to live a good life I had lost feeling in one of my legs before going into surgery so I didn't know if I was actually going to walk and the next thing that I knew uh, I was outside of my body my spirit form had lifted up out of my body and I had been obviously operated on for quite some time because my back was opened up, my hip was opened up, they took blood, uh, they took bone from the hip and put it into the back and blood was spilling everywhere. And I remember immediately my first thought, you know, my experience of that moment was, yes, we go on, this is not a dream, this is not a hallucination, I just knew my spirit body to be the real deal, the real thing in that first moment. I didn't need the full profound near-death experience that I had. I was convinced in that moment and I knew that I was seeing the doctors, I was seeing the full room of the operating room and it was just an out-of-body experience. At that point it hadn't transitioned to the near-death experience because I hadn't died yet. The Mm -hmm. angels were at the foot of the bed and for so long, I have to tell you, I just called them light beings. I didn't call them angels. I called them beings, intelligent beings, light beings. Uh, they just, I didn't know what they were. They were just the most intelligent, profoundly caring beings I had ever met. And I immediately trusted them and they helped me adjust to being the spirit form because I'd already disconnected from the body. It was like, oh, that's my body on the operating table, but I'm, I am this spirit form. I am this this thing that continues on and they sent waves of light and healing and peace into my spirit form and then they said watch this and they sent this light through the back of the surgeons into their hands and lit up my whole body and I knew that I'd walk. I knew that the fragments of bone pressing on my spine in certain places would be picked out and that I would live a good life and 
and be able to run again. And But I also knew that those brilliant neurosurgeons were being assisted by angels, and I almost chuckled. I thought, I bet they don't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, later I found out they definitely didn't know it, <laughs> you know, that they were assisted by this intelligence. And it the whole thing fascinated me. But in that moment, after they did that, the monitor flatlined, and I, I knew that sound from movies and other places, and I thought, ah, now I'm technically dead. And mm. that that kind of registered with me. And, you know, I have to say there wasn't any great sorrow. There wasn't any, like, oh, I want to be back in that body. I miss my life. There was like, cool, what comes next? Right. <laughs> you know, right. it wasn't, uh, I, was, I felt adventurous in that space. And it... Uh, the near-death experience itself continued on and on, and there was so much to it. But the part that a lot of researchers care about is I saw my stepdad get a candy bar, which was later verified, and that in a sense proves that consciousness survives the physical form. I, I don't need that to be proven. You know, I experienced right. it. <laughs> right. But other people like those details, and that's why my particular story has been studied a lot. And then I transitioned into the space above Austin and felt this oneness with Austin. I've interviewed different people who felt a oneness with everyone on the planet. And I thought, why did I only get a city? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I've heard really great things about Austin. I heard it's a pretty uh, great place. So maybe that is the world. Maybe that was the world. Maybe that was the epicenter of the world right there. <laughs> right. Uh, for whatever reason, I felt one with every barista, every student, every you know, just every person walking the street. I just felt love for them. It was my way of kind of saying goodbye. I love you. We're all one. Live a good life. Be happy. Years later, just like a couple of years later, um, John Burke, who studies near-death experiences, he wrote the book Imagine Heaven, which has been you know, an international bestseller, but he connects the Bible to near-death experiences. And he felt this oneness with Austin too, or this desire to help oh. Austin. And so I think in some weird way we're connected, you know, this desire to make that city even more of a spiritual home for people. Well, the story is so, it's so vivid. I remember, you know, just reading about it, it was so vivid and I, your detail of it, you are a writer and they picked a good person to give this experience to because <laughs> you have a very unique ability to write about it. But take us beyond Austin what were you what were you shown what because I think sometimes people that I've been around that are wondering about this they want to know you know what what is the truth that's revealed there is it do we see the the, the quote-unquote bad things we've done do we see the good things we've done what is it that you saw what mattered in that moment when you went beyond Austin into the into the I don't into space I don't even know how to describe it Right. Well, I think the uh, space element of it is that's the beginning where God was really a part of this experience. And I I felt God as an energy of love that was coming toward me. So as soon as I left Austin in the night sky, I transitioned into what kind of felt like the cosmos or space, but God was also there with this divine intelligence. And, and my life flash before my eyes, sort of like if you think of a 3D um, visual in the sky of one's life. And I had to learn a few lessons, but they weren't, they weren't uh, told to me in a way that made me feel bad about myself or 
judged in the way that so many religious people, I think, hold on to that judgment and that punishment. What I was shown is how to be better. Like this, this soul journey was all about how can you see into the hearts of people? How can you connect with them more? How can you just spread love more? And hey, look at all the times you were consumed with yourself. That just brought you sadness and darkness. That's not God. God wants your vision on God and on others and this world and connecting with love. And so that was the basic lesson was not to judge others and to look into their hearts. And that doesn't mean, and, and you know, these concepts are so complex as I'm sure you know. So people question me all the time, don't judge others. Well, you can have boundaries, but right. it's, right. you know, like and you don't have to, and a lot of near death experiencers do come back with like boundless amounts of love that we can be targets for sociopaths or, you know, just see God and everyone. Um, but basically you see the good in everyone and you go from that point, but you do protect yourself in life. But, but mainly my message was see the good in others. Don't miss it. And don't be so self-consumed that you miss the beauty of those around you. And then I got really specific messages, like remind them to go to nature and in this technological age, this group of kids coming up, they literally need that exact message. Right. Hey, put down your phone and go sit under a tree. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. please right. do that. You know, like get 15 minutes of sunlight and get your vitamin D. <laughs> you know, like, That's right. <laughs> don't be indoors all the time. And and that message seems simple, but it does reset us psychologically and energetically when we're in nature. So many wounds can be let go of. And then love is all that matters and it's all that we take with us. And that's a big one because people beat themselves up for their lack of success, their lack of financial success, their everything. You know, they beat themselves up with with all these concepts in their mind. And it's not about how much are you loved. It's about how much love did you give to this world? Did you adopt a pet? Did you volunteer here? Did you help someone? Were you just kind to the person at the counter, even though you were frustrated? All the ways that you're giving kindness and love to this world, that's your, that's what, that's your truth. That's what you get to take with you through eternity. The rest of it you don't take. It's not like we're, in my experience, it's not like I was horribly judged. That was just darkness, the fear that I had or the depression or the things I did that weren't connected to the light. It's like I left that on the ground and that was done. But anything I did from love, that was God. And that's what we continue on with. So that was a a really powerful message I, I saw, um, I transitioned at some point, which I like to call like a holding place, this heavenly realm where everything was perfect. And over the years, I've tried in meditation to bring that perfection to earth, because I think if you look at, if you look at it, like, you know, your essence, and you meditate on that, that beauty that God gives us that absolute peace and beauty, and you overlay that into you know your scared heart or your hurt body then i think the healing begins a little bit quicker and maybe that's something that other people can take into their lives is like when you begin a meditation or at the end of a meditation just meditate on heaven and heaven to me was perfection god was there just holding me in this place where the grass was so incredibly green there wasn't a bit of 
decay or sunlight that had scorched it. Uh, my grandfather, who had died, was in that place, and he looked very young. Yeah. I've heard, for whatever reason, a lot of people like their 30s, and they kind of go back to that age, that there's something, you know, right. maybe the 20s are too wild. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the 30s, we still look good, but, you know, <laughs> but we know a little more, and we're uh, we have some good memories, and and that's what he looked like. He looked about 35, and but not like an average human. His eyes glowed with light, and he was he was perfect, you know, in that place. And and that um, that realm just gave me greater peace. And seeing someone who was you know an ancestor and who had died, near death experiencers always see people who have died, not people who haven't died. So that's you know more confirmation of these experiences being real, in a sense. And he asked me at some point if I wanted to go on to that light of God. And I was so excited. You know, you asked me how I felt. I couldn't wait to get closer to God. And God looked like this light that was far away. Right. And even though I felt people's prayers, like their specific prayers trying to pull me back to my body, I was so attracted to that love of God. And honestly, I'd not felt that kind of love. And a lot of people perhaps haven't at 22. You know, maybe they've had a few attempts at relationships, or maybe they had kind of a difficult home life. But what I felt was pure, powerful love in this way that words can't describe. I, all I can say over and over again is I'd never felt so good. And I still to this day cry thinking about it. And and I hate to say it because, you know, it sounds depressing, but many near-death experiencers spend their whole life kind of brokenhearted um, because that union with God is so powerful and so beautiful. It's like the best drug imaginable and then you can never take it again. <laughs> it's the best experience imaginable. And, you know, I can have moments of it here, but it's still dulled by the distance, you know, and, and, and so that love of God, I was safe to love freely and to be loved and to be absolutely held in freedom, but loved completely more than you would love a kitten or a baby or anything. Like I was that loved and we all are. And that's, that's a message that I wish I could communicate to people. If if I could stand on a stage and just broadcast it with my eyes or hands, I would. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I know some healers try, and I'm not so sure that they're actually succeeding. But <laughs> but I I don't think that it, it's it's very hard to get back to that place of that absolute love. But I still hold the memory, and it's still so bright within me. And I never wanted to leave God. Never wanted to leave that place. And when I learned that I had to return, and not only, you know, return, but I was given a specific mission, the way things are communicated there, it's interesting, it, it's telepathic, but almost booms within your soul. And so I just knew things without the words being said, but I was shown this river, and I was shown all these students that I would encounter in my life, and not as a spiritual teacher, but as an actual public school teacher and community college professor, right. I would be in their lives in some way that would help them from falling through the cracks or help them remind, be reminded of their, their potential and their connection to God and their connection to their own power and, and beauty in this world. And I have to say I was a little upset 
because I had grown up poor and I was like, what? You're sending me back to work as a teacher? This is horrible, God. No, 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 no. <laughs> we're going to stop this right here. Either I'm staying here or we're doing something else. And I was actually kind of laughed at by God. And I still laugh when I think about it because, you know, many years later, of course, I, I followed those instructions right away. My feet, anytime they hit the ground of whatever school district or college I'm teaching in, I'm filled with such hilarity and such joy and such happiness. It's almost like God's laughing at me every step of the way, like, see, you're so good at this. You were meant to be here and I'm with you. Well, <laughs> and- let me wait, Trisha, let me ask you about that piece right there, because you said no matter where you put your feet, because in your book, you talk a lot about the different places you've taught. One of the questions I have about your experiences what were some of the challenges then that you had coming back from that experience? And as you go through your life, it's almost like you have a foot in both worlds all the time. So is it challenging for you sometimes to continue on in what we might call an earthly life when, when you know what's waiting? Have, has that been a challenge for you in any way? That's a really good question that I've never been asked. And you're right. A lot of near-death experiencers, we do have like one foot over there and one foot here. And I'm shocked sometimes. I'm shocked by the amount of fear and abuse that kids go through and the state of what I observed in public schools. I think everyone should volunteer in low-income schools and should be a part of the educational system in some ways. And and I'm shocked by the judgment that I encountered in other teachers and the jealousy. You know, if right. I experienced any deep connections with students, people were jealous of me. And I was like, look, I'm just here for the students. Like, I'm literally here to help them. And that's right. my mission. And I couldn't believe the things that I encountered in people. I mean, it was largely disappointing. I mean, there were wonderful <laughs> teachers, too, who cared. <laughs> you know, the wonderful administrators and principals and you know, but there was some shocking drama from parents who were horrible and other teachers who were petty. And um, and all the while, I'm like, look, these kids are dying for our attention right now and dying for us to see how much they need from us and how much they are hurting. And that's where the behavior comes from. And I have to say, like, I'm shocked by how far the world needs to come in loving one another. How do you process that? You know, it's hard at times because only recently have I been told that I'm too trusting and I walk out into the world with this love. And it's great in a classroom when I have police I can call and, you know, know, like principals and they can be sent to detention when I'm the one in power. But if I just walk through this world giving love to everyone, you know, then people don't know what to do with that. They misinterpret it as romantic attraction or they, um, you know, they think, oh, she's easily manipulable and I can get what I need from her, you know, and whatever that might be, whether it's friendship or, um, you know, whatever, that I'm easily used by people because of this kind of openness. Um, but, But at the same time, I think the message is important. And that's why a lot of people who have had these experiences realize eventually like it's the message and I've got to keep spreading this message that we can all be a lot more loving and create uh, more safe environments. I find them in churches, I find them in spiritual groups sometimes where there is that connection to God first and then this love and brotherhood and sisterhood between people and I think 
that's the new earth. That's what we need to work on creating. Right, right. So knowing all of that and having this amazing experience and walking through life, like we said, with almost a foot on both sides of the line, what's a tip or tool that you can give us from your experiences that we can use right now in our journeys of personal and spiritual growth? Yeah, so don't forget the magic and go ahead and ask your angels and God. So say you're in a difficult moment in your life, walk out into nature, walk first, walk out under a tree or take a walk or stand out in your backyard because that'll reset your energy. And then just literally ask, hey, please take away this negativity within me. You know, I need the angelic realm to work with me. I need God to work with me. Take it away so that I can be connected to the light that I am and know the right directions and the right steps to move forward in this moment and believe that, you know, if you don't get the answers right then, they will come. But sometimes they come instantly and we're just not even asking for that change. And it, I mean, it's been miraculous the times that I've done that and I've felt the hands of God just like reach into me and just throw away negativity as if it didn't even exist. And there's all kind of energy workers and, you know, people who can assist you if you can't do this for yourself. But I really like to empower people and go, you have so much more power than you realize just by asking. Right. Right. And there's tremendous power also in waiting and patience. Because I think sometimes we ask for guidance on how we're going or how we should act. And sometimes guidance comes in the form of non-action or waiting. So sometimes this is something I tell folks is if you're asking and you're not getting a message, sometimes that's the message. And then what you find is you're in a mall or you're in a bookstore and all of a sudden a product or a book or a person will show up and that person is the answer to what you were asking. But at the moment, the answer was to just wait and see. And so your advice to go out and just make yourself open to whatever you want to call it, I think that's really valuable, valuable advice. Thanks. And I think your advice is valuable too, because we want instant fixes in this society so badly. (laughs) Right. And sometimes it just isn't instant. And that doesn't mean the healing isn't coming or the answer isn't coming. It just means, hey, you know, it's going to take a while for it to manifest and work itself out. And that's part of the process. And you might find the process to be the real joy anyway, as hard as that is to (laughs) wrap one's head around. It's like, we want the problem fixed, but maybe you meet some really wonderful people who help you get through that problem. And that's the meaning. You were meant to have these new friends. Right. And I love that. I love when you said before intelligent beings, because I think that helps to put what you just said in context is my listeners are probably tired of hearing me say this, but nothing on this show ever on any of these episodes is meant to say that we don't have struggles. It's not meant to say that we don't have problems. It's not meant to say that we don't lose people we love or we don't get sick or we don't have struggles. But what a lot of these tips and tools are about is trying to find ways to see beyond that, to see through that, to see what's on the other side and to be open for the opportunities that come through difficult times. And that's what was really exciting for me about your show is I think The message you bring is one, not so much about the near-death experience, but the experience of truly living in light of that. And I I think that that is the value of your book in such a core way, because you present your story up front 
And then we spend pages unpacking what that can mean for us back here. And I, I think that's a really, really valuable way for people to understand the profound effect that this had not only for you, but but for all of us. Thank you for that. Oh, thank you for seeing that and, you know, seeing why I wrote it that way. It's I, I feel like all these years in the classroom and encountering students with a variety of problems that, yeah, I've been through a lot, um, you know, but that helped me recognize because I've suffered childhood abuse, I could recognize it in other kids and I could point them in a direction of healing. I could do the right things that weren't done for me, you know, call CPS and, you know, be in their lives. And and that type of, of pain is just a pain in the world. And that's what we're trying to heal. And there's a lot of confusion sometimes about manifestation and, you know, like the karma and creation. I, I don't even care about that. Like my biggest point is like, whatever you go through, use it to heal yourself in this world because these problems are not just yours, but they're stretching across society, you know, and we see it all the time. I, I'm a part of so many groups of parents who have lost kids. It must be one of the hardest wounds imaginable but you know they reach out to one another they become right. each other's support and they help so many other people in these dark moments and the same thing with you know trauma and all sorts of things we go through in life it's our it's our connection to others and our ability to begin to bring about more love on this planet i appreciate that and because that's that's the essence of of the nobody concept is you don't have to be rich famous or ordained to take these steps you can just be yourself and just be a mirror to the world and so that other people can shine. So I, I thank you for that message. It's it's quite beautiful. Oh, thanks. And thank you for your show. I mean, your concept is amazing, too. I mean, it's the thing that God wanted for me was to be an average teacher. And I balked at that. You know, my ego balked at it. But it has literally been the thing that has given me the most joy in my life. <laughs> I love that. And on that wonderful message, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Nobody Guide to Life. Trisha, thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for your book and for your time. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. It's been fun. And I want to remind our listeners, you don't have to die to have gratitude for the life you live. You don't need to see angels to get guidance or perspective on life. Death is not a prerequisite to truly live. If you're looking to form a greater connection with the people in your life, then listen to those who have gone and come back and heed their message. The most important thing you can do today is love. That is the key that truly unlocks the power of life. You can find out more about Trisha and her work at trishabarkernde.com or you can find her on YouTube at Near Death Experience healed by the light and check out her book angels in the or what dying taught me about healing survival and transformation it's a great book you won't be disappointed it's on audible.com that's a really great way to experience that book we'll also have a link to it on amazon in our show notes and you can always check out more episodes at the nobody guide to life.com or find episodes and videos on the nobody guide to life youtube channel reach out to us on twitter and facebook at nobody's view or on instagram at ja plosker or join our Facebook community. If you liked what you heard on this episode, please consider sharing it with someone you know, someone you think could really use it. Keep practicing and have a good week.